This morning we have children's church, so the children of that age group this time are dismissed to the meet the leaders in the uh, foyer. We're going downstairs. Okay. Thank you. foot washing as well. This morning we're going to be looking at the story of the great banquet in Luke 14. If you have your Bibles with me in a little bit, we're going to be taking a look at that. I want to tell you guys a story. About 13 years ago, I was working for Sight and Sound, and uh, there was a certain president's father who was touring for his son, and he was going to all these different areas, and he was campaigning for his son's election. He was having banquets to raise money. He was hosting speaking engagements to, re, to uh, bring light to his son's campaign convictions. And he just so happened to decide that he wanted to speak at Sight and Sound on one of our days off. So, leading up to this great big event that was going to take place, Secret Service kind of combed through the area and made sure that none of us were too weird. Somehow I got past the inspection. And they, they came even through our horse barns to make sure there wasn't anything more than a pitchfork hiding out in the barn. There were a lot of invitations that were sent out, invitations to very important and prominent people who should attend this event. Because of the amount of people that were interested in this of prominency, they decided to send invitations also to a dinner banquet. I remember that the banquet cost somewhere between five and $7,000 a plate, and it was a way to raise money as a fundraiser for the campaign. I was not at that. Might have been a good meal. These ideas of big dinner banquets for politicians are kind of twofold. The first thing they do is they secure a vote and they secure financial wealth. By you paying $7,000 to eat dinner with a candidate, you are also getting something out of return. Hopefully, you're also getting some press coverage. The newspaper usually covers these events with great detail and mentions all of the high tootin' people that were there. You also hopefully paid enough money that your seat was as close to the honored guest as you could be. You wanted to be as close to this former president, to this guy campaigning for his son as you could be. That was the idea. It brought you notoriety. It brought you fame. It brought you the ability to network with other famous people in the area. It brought you the opportunity to hopefully use your power and influence to influence the, the campaign of the person that was, camp of, that was candidating. It's kind of a I'll scratch my back if you scratch your back event, uh, if you scratch my back. I imagine when this event happened, people were kind of uh, dressed up and they were really excited about who they were and how important they were that they got to be there. I'm sure that it was kind of a, a rush in to find the best seats and to get as close to the best seat as you could have. 
That kind of idea is not much different than what we see is going to take place here in Luke 14. In Luke 14, we're going to see that Jesus is attending a great banquet. He's walking down the street and a Pharisee stops him. A Pharisee that's prominent, who is wealthy and well-known. He's known by everyone in the area. And it's Sabbath. It's a time of rest. But this, this Pharisee said, you know what? I want to keep an eye on that Jesus. This is in the beginning of Luke 14. We see that the Pharisee wants to keep an eye on Jesus. So what better way to keep an eye on somebody than invite him in your house? Have a big dinner banquet for him and have all the other most important people of that area have dinner with you as well. Jesus knew the odds were against him, but he doesn't say no to the dinner reservations. He probably didn't pay $7,000 to be there, and I doubt he would have. But he attends the banquet knowing that they are using this event to keep an eye on him. Even in doing that, Jesus finds a way to steal the limelight. So we see that Jesus attends this banquet, and he's going on Sabbath to this Pharisee's house, and he passes a man who's uh, swollen, and he looks at the Pharisees knowing that they think they have him, and he says, is it wrong for me to heal this man on the Sabbath? Well, they stayed quiet. Of course, they're having a big dinner banquet that took lots of work on Sabbath, so Jesus heals a man in front of them. He's already beginning to show them that he's going to control what's about to happen. So he goes to the house, and Jesus enters into the Pharisee's house, and he sees a mad rush for the best seats. See, in these days, in a dinner banquet, there would have probably been a U-shaped table. And uh, the person would sit at the head of the table that was the most prominent, the, the person who was the host, he was the prominent Pharisee in this story, and everyone else wants to sit next to him. You want to get as close to the host as you can. It provided networking opportunities. It, it helped you find who your kids were going to marry. It was an important place, an important piece of their social hierarchy. They wanted to find the best seats so they could be next to the host and have the most opportunities to get their own back scratched. Who would want to sit next to the kitchen and hear the clatter? No, they wanted to be where all the action was. So Jesus walks in and he sees this haughty mix of people just trying to get the best seats. And he sees that everyone's prominent. He sees that everyone's rich. He sees that everyone's important. In fact, they're just friends from the country club. Everyone that is sitting at this table is just like the Pharisee. Nobody is different. They're all there just to scratch each other's back and just have fun. Networking with each other. These are the people who said they were the friends of God. These Pharisees and experts of the law that are at this dinner table are those who said they were the friends of God. In fact, they were so busy waiting for the return of God to experience his blessing and to be able to reign in God's blessing that that is all they did is wait. Wait for the return of God. They thought they were the best friends of God. They were the most faithful. And they took comfort in that. They were comfortable with the fact that they were the friends of God. They were the faithful ones of God. So they gathered for Sabbath, and then just like we do as Mennonites, they had a really good big meal, because that's what you got to do after Sabbath, right? So they had a big meal, and they, and they went over, and Jesus is there, and he just sees, it's just people that are like each other. They're, there's all these rich people that think they're the friends of God, fighting for the best seats. Everyone's seeing what's in it for themselves. What am I getting out of this opportunity here? It's a very consumeristic idea. 
It's a very consumeristic idea that they're getting something out of the banquet. He also sees that people there are family and other people important. He, he doesn't see any real intention of the kingdom at that banquet. So Jesus, even though he's the guest, starts telling parables. He tells two parables before the one we're going to look at today. One of those, he tells them, don't invite your friends and family, and don't invite people who can only pay you back with kindness and favor. He, he is the guest at the party. Now, I mentioned that presidential election party. Could you imagine if somebody attended that and took the limelight away from the campaigning uh, speaker? I don't think that would have went over so well, right? So here's Jesus, this guy that probably didn't dress as nice as everyone else in their uh, dinner banquet, but he comes in and he says, look, look what you guys are doing. This is not how it is in the kingdom. And he starts telling parables. He steals the limelight from the host. Of course, everyone listens to him. And there's a Pharisee or an expert of the law that's sitting there, and he listens to what Jesus is saying, and he, and he kind of agreeing kind of a political dinner. He kind of says, yeah, he's talking about the reign of God. He's talking about when God's coming back to the future. Yeah, I'll see that. I see that. And uh, then he goes, blessed, blessed is those who will sit at the feast of the coming kingdom of God. Blessed is those. I imagine Jesus sighed a little bit, realizing that this guy had totally missed everything Jesus was trying to say. He said, blessed is those who will sit there. I imagine it was kind of a toast, you know. He had the wine in his hand. If I can use this prop here for a minute, he just kind of raised it up. He's like, yeah, us, we'll be there. What he was really saying is how fortunate it is for us, the elect, the country club that is gathered here today, that when Jesus, when God comes back with his messianic rule, that everything will be all right. We will be the faithful ones. We will be the comfortable ones. We will be able to reign with God. God will make everything right again, and we will continue this idea of importance so here they are gathered around as important people over an important banquet watching Jesus and Jesus is telling them something completely different he tells them this is not the way it is in the kingdom Jesus realized that these friends of God were actually missing out on everything that the kingdom feast was offering and that they weren't actually close enough to be truly the friends of God they were missing out on the invitation I'm going to read Luke 15, uh, yeah, Luke 14, 15 through 23. It is on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. And if you have a Bible with you, you can look at uh, uh, the passage with us. There's also one in the pew in front of you. It's red, and it'll be on pages 1034 this morning. 1034. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. Come, for everything is now ready. But they all, like, began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Notice he didn't even apologize. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, 
go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. First thing that we see here is that there seems to be a confusion of why people aren't coming. We see it, the servant actually talks to him twice. It's kind of like this double invitation. It was pretty common in Middle Eastern culture at that time. So he goes out and he tells all the important people, there's going to be this feast. Plan on it. And they say, okay. And meat's expensive at this time. So he runs back and he says, you know, X amount of people say they're coming. So-and-so says they're coming. He's making sure, as a good promoter does, that he's not booking it on the same day as a wedding or another event. And so the master holds the banquet. The food is finally cooked. The pig was slow roasted and sitting on the fire. It wasn't really a pig. And he sends a servant out. He says, tell him now the time is ready. So these people RVSP'd. It doesn't say that, but based on the cultural implications, we know they probably RVSP'd to this party. So he goes out and he finds that they now had no room for the kingdom The Pharisee was correct in the one thing that he said. Blessed are those who eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, we don't have bulletin points to fill in this morning because the copier was down. But if you have a piece of paper and you want to take notes, I still have some points on the board. The Pharisee was correct in what he said. Blessed are those who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. What he didn't realize, though, is that he said the right words, but he meant the wrong thing. That can happen so often for so many of us. We can say the right things in our comfortable country club, but our implications are completely in opposition to what God is doing. He thought who will showed that when he said who will show up and eat at the feast, he totally missed on all those other parables Jesus told in the beginning of Luke 14. He was glad his country club had it all together, and they would keep feasting and being important until God came back and affirmed their importantness. They were faithful friends of God from now to that future date that was coming. And to then they were feasting and doing things that filled in the cracks. He thought when he said, who will, that his heritage made him a candidate. He thought he was part of the elect. Surely when God comes back, this table will definitely be there. Those in this room will definitely be there. So the Pharisee was correct. Blessed are those who are willing to eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. But he took for granted who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God based on his heritage and based on his fact that he was in a comfortable country club with some of the good old boys who kept everything safe. He thought he was saved based on that. Jesus doesn't stop and call him out on what he said. Instead, he tells a parable to unpack it. The next point is this. Jesus told this parable to deconstruct the Pharisees' idea of who will be blessed. The blessing, isn't, the blessing of God isn't given through birthright or good for, fortune. Faith isn't meant to become a comfortable country club of hierarchies. We aren't supposed to elbow our way up to the top and see who can serve in the most important role. The assumption of right standing in God's blessing is a dangerous one. This Pharisee was sure he was in the middle of God's blessing, as were everyone at his table. And whoever spoke this line also 
was surely sure he was going to be in God's blessing and was in right standing with God. He took comfort in that. When we fail to pay attention to reality and we take comfort in whatever makes us comfortable, we miss out and we enter a dangerous place in which we might actually be missing what God is actually saying. Being a friend of the host or of God doesn't matter unless you act on it and commit yourself over all else. So when this Pharisee comes out, when this, uh, in this parable that Jesus tells, he says that this guy ran out and told all of his friends, I'm going to have a banquet. They're like, woo, yeah. And when it's time for the meal to come, all of a sudden being a friend didn't matter. All of a sudden, being a friend of the host, it just bought, just bought these, you know, 20 ox, and I need to try them out. That's pretty fun. And uh, this other guy was, well, I was on eBay, and I bought some land. I got a chance to look at it yet, uh, but I was just throwing my money in the future. And so I'm going to go over and look at that. That's better than paying attention to my friend who's hosting this banquet right now. Then there's the other guy who we can read in two ways. We can read that either or that he just got married. But I think he had been married for a while. He wasn't on his honeymoon, and he was just trying to blame it on the wife and said, she put the foot down, i got to go home and see her. Sorry. He didn't even say sorry. He just said, you should understand, i got to get home. At that point, whatever made up their life became more important than their friend. Jesus is telling them this parable because he was sitting with people who claimed to be the friend of God. He was sitting with people who were comfortable in their friendship with God. And he was telling them that's not enough. He was deconstructing the Pharisees' idea of who will be blessed. It won't be heritage. It won't be birthright. It won't be the fact that you were carried in. It's exactly only by those who are willing. The Pharisee was sure the religious faithful few would be the ones to stand in the coming blessing of the end of the age. When the turbulent times would come. And the reign of God would come back. We as a church can get comfortable with this. We love movies like Left Behind and Rapture things. There was one in the 70s, what was it called, Thief in the Night that everyone used to show. And it's this idea that we, the comfortable ones, soon as God comes back, everything will be all right. And we take hope waiting comfortably to them. It's the same thing that these Pharisees and experts of the law were doing. When Jesus tells this parable, he's telling them that, you know, these, these friends were comfortable in their friendship with the guy that they actually didn't need to show up to his banquet. He'll understand, I'm married, I just bought a field, I bought an ox. I don't know if any of those are really good excuses. I don't know how many people actually buy land without looking at it. I don't know who's willing to buy 20 ox without actually seeing if they can plow a field. Who wants to break a bunch of ox? They're pretty stubborn. I don't think he would have, uh, I don't, the guy that just got married, I think he was just using an excuse to get from having to see to his friendship. Friendship takes investment. It's more than just being a friend with somebody, but it's actually committing to the call of friendship. So Jesus is telling this parable that these guys found their life more important and the things that made up their life more important than their friendship. The feast of the kingdom of God is both here and now and yet to come. The feast of the kingdom is both here and now and yet to come. What this means is this. When Jesus is telling us, he's sitting at the table with them. You who are friends of God, 
the feast. You keep just waiting for this future thing. We as the church can do this. We're waiting for the end times. We're waiting for the reign of God to come back. But the feast of the kingdom of God in the parable that he's telling is already present. The, he says, come, the feast is ready. Feasting is pretty enjoyable. I'm a fan of smorgasbords. I am a fan of Diener's smorgasbord, and I like to eat as much as I can when I'm there. Anybody else like that? Anybody else like to every once in a while get away and eat as much as you can? We as Mennonites like free things. I don't know who would say no to a free all-you-can-eat. Right? Who, who would say no? But what, what do you The meal is ready. You who are friends of God are missing that. You are missing that the meal is ready and you could be enjoying the blessing of God now. The feast of the kingdom. Stop looking for this future thing at the end of age. This turbulent time in which God's going to come back and violently fix everything. He's saying, enjoy the feast now. Everyone said, yeah, yeah, I'm your friend. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. And then what happened is when it's time to eat, nobody actually wanted to take part of the meal. No one actually showed up or took part of what was prepared. Jesus was there. He was a symbol of that preparation, that the kingdom of God was now in the here and the now. They could take part of the kingdom and the power of the kingdom and the glory and the blessing of the kingdom and sit in the presence of God. But they were too distracted just viewing it as the end times. We too can just wait and talk about what it's like to be in heaven and miss our call to the friendship of God in the here and the now. The Pharisees were focused on the future, and Jesus is saying the feast is ready now. The irony part of that is the servant is at the table, and the feast was ready to be enjoyed. They kept talking about what it would be like to enjoy the blessing of God at the end of age. And here's Jesus, the servant in the story, right? God had prepared a meal. God had prepared the kingdom of God for people, the blessing, this great feast. And he sent his servant He sent Jesus to tell people, hey, the feast is ready. Who did he send Jesus to? But the friends of God. Those who said, we are waiting for the blessing of God. He sent Jesus to those people. And those people were oblivious to it. These so-called friends of God missed out on what Jesus was saying. The kingdom is in the here and the now. The next point is the servant is at the table and the feast is ready to be enjoyed. Jesus is sitting there telling them the feast is ready. And they're just nodding their heads and listening to this parable and still missing out on everything he's saying. They RVSP'd for the banquet by being a friend of God. They probably were sitting there wondering, who would miss out on this opportunity? Why would they RVSP at this great banquet? Do you know how many networking opportunities could be there? The next president could be in that banquet. I could be there rubbing shoulders with him. It probably sounded like an opportune moment to gather the country club to them. They probably thought it was odd that these people didn't go to the banquet they were invited to. In a parable for them, they missed that God was the master and Jesus was the servant. They were so busy with their everyday lives and their excuses of what filled in the cracks that they missed how to enjoy the kingdom in the here and the now by only waiting for what it meant at the end of all time. The master sent a servant to those who he thought were his friends, and his friends totally realized they weren't close enough to understand. 
Jesus found the friends of God too distracted by their own empires, their own work, and their own family. We'd break down and look at what these three people represent. This. The first guy was too worried about building his own empire. He got land as an investment. You know, he was the friend of the host, but right now what was more important was this everyday life part. This part that I had to buy and invest and prepare for the future. The second guy, he's got this problem where he can't get out of work. He's a workaholic. He just sees that he needs to get the oxen into the field. He just bought them. He needs to get them there. He needs to get the work done. He needs to make ends meet. The first guy is trying to pursue the American dream, and the second guy just is trying to make the ends meet. The friendship of the master who is holding this banquet is not important anymore. And the third guy, we might try to take it easy on him because we think, well, family is important. Nuclear family is important. You know, they used to say that it takes a village to raise a that's an idea that we're getting away from. And more and more, we're becoming people who put everything into just the nuclear family. Church comes second to my family. Work comes second to my nuclear family. At one time, the church meant everyone together. It meant the family together. You know, the funny part is in the next passage after this parable, Jesus goes into that, who is my mother and my father? If anyone's not willing to hate their mother and father and follow me in this new family... This is, Jesus is setting, he's a perfect setup man in his stories. Here he's saying it too. The servant is at the end. Uh, Jesus found the friends of God too distracted by their own empires, their own work, and their own family. And that's the last point. He found a guy that was too distracted by his own family. He found a guy that was distracted by his two work, by his work. He found a guy that was distracted by his future investments. They took granted what it meant to be a friend of the guy holding the banquet. Jesus is telling this to people at a table who took for granted what it meant to be a friend of God. They had used it for a societal hierarchy. They had built this comfortable country club, and they totally were missing out that they could be enjoying the feast of the kingdom of God together now. They used their feast to pat each other on the back rather than engage people in the world around them. Jesus tells them, why, why are you inviting people like yourself? Why aren't you inviting the crippled, the lame? Well, they didn't get it. So he tells them this parable. When he realizes that the friends of the master aren't willing to come to a banquet, he says to his servant, go and invite all those least than these people. Go bring the crippled, the lame, the blame. So that represents Jesus healing people. And the servant comes back and says, there's still room. He says, go and compel them. Come and make them come in. Come and show them what it means to enjoy the feast. See, these Pharisees knew what a feast tasted like. They were comfortable and they were blinded by their comfortableness. A blind person or a person who was lame or poor could dream of a feast like this and never experience it. The master says, now that's who my banquet is for, and he pours it out. Unfortunately, we can be like the Pharisees in more times than not. We can get comfortable in our country club called church. We can get distracted by building our own empires and our own work and our own family that we don't see the commitment to each other. Jesus may not be literally at the table now, but he left the kingdom open at that point. 
And he left the servant behind, the Holy Spirit, who comes constantly and tells us the meal is ready. The feast is ready. Come and enjoy the kingdom. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The problem is our faith becomes marginalized. We know that when we go to heaven, we, when we die, we'll go to heaven. Or when Jesus comes back, he will set everything right. And we focus on that and we live everyday life filling in the cracks. Our faith becomes the marginalized part of our life. Same thing that these guys were doing. They didn't press into their friendship and the presence of each other and with God enough that they actually missed any reality of what God was doing. And they missed out on some fun things. Jesus was inviting people to come along for the ride and heal people. The Pharisees missed out on an integral part of God's kingdom, the coming of the kingdom. This morning we're going to be serving communion. We are going to be remembering this. It's the same point again from the first point. Go ahead with the last point. Yeah. Blessed are those who are willing to eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are willing to eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Yes, we will be blessed if we are willing to eat in the feast. But that's more in the here and the now than the not yet. We need to be focused on what it means to live the kingdom missionally to those around us more than how we can create a comfortable country club. I don't want to miss out on what God's doing. I don't like to miss out on a free meal, and I don't want to miss out on what integral things God is doing in this time. I don't want to be known as the guy that in future times that missed out on what Jesus was doing in our era, what Jesus was teaching our neighbors. I don't want to be on the sidelines watching that and go, oh, I could have, could have played on that team. I don't, want, I don't want that. We can get so distracted with everyday life that we miss that. I don't want to miss the feast. And today as we do a communion, I want us to remember that as we do this, it's a sign of remembrance that we are joined at the feast of the kingdom of God. And it's not to be a country club, but something that is so powerful that overflows in us to all those around us. There's a passage that we're going to look at quick from John 6 before we move into communion. It'll be on the screen for those of you who want to follow along. Is it scripture? Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth. You are looking for me, and because you, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because of all the loaves of bread, you ate all the loaves of bread you wanted. See, here, Jesus just fed the 5,000. He broke bread and made fishes, and he made everyone fat and hungry, that was hungry, fat and full. So there's people questioning him on his ministry here. He says, I tell you the you were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the loaves of bread that you wanted. Do not work for the food that disappears, but for the food that remains to eternal life, the food which the Son of Man will give you. 
For God the Father has put his seal of approval on him. So then they said to him, What must we do to accomplish the deeds that God requires? Jesus replied, This is the deed that God requires. To believe in the one whom he sent. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread all the time. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. This morning we remember our commitment to pursuing the food of the kingdom's feast by believing in the one whom God sent and staying committed to bringing that feast to all those not like us around us. Using every opportunity not to gather the club, but to bring in the blind, the poor, and the lame. That's what we remember this morning. I invite the service forward for this time of communion together.